0: Welcome again, everyone, to Track Talk. Today's episode is Track Talk with Rick Murata. We're going to talk about Steely Dan's epic tune, Peg, a song all of us drummers have pulled our hair out over a million times trying to play this song the correct way. And guess what? I promise you, you never have. Um, If you see Rick play it, you'll realize you're not playing it right. So anyway, I'm excited to have my dear friend, the legendary Rick Morata here with me. And so please welcome the one and only legendary and very funny man, Rick Murata. Unless I've lost him. And there he is.
1: I fell asleep in the waiting room. Can you hear me?
0: I can hear you, Rick.
1: <laughs> now, let me just ask you something. Yes. <clears throat> We're on a limited time here, you told me, and I'm in the waiting room, and I literally passed out. I just want to know what you were talking about, and I really hope it wasn't Steve, Gad and Asia while I was in the waiting room. Because <laughs> no, it that was, would be was upsetting.
0: I was talking about all the other records you've played on and how incredible they are. And they, there was never one mention. Who? Steve who? Never one mention of him
1: yeah talking about my career wouldn't take that long
0: well Rick um, before we well I, I I know you want to jump in, you're a busy man, but I want to just tell you something I have to apologize to you for, and I hope you forgive me and it doesn't affect our friendship. When I told you about this great idea that I had about a month ago when I called you excited about this new podcast idea, and my I told your idea, and I told you the name of it was trash Talk. And the idea is that you could come on, and you could trash talk all these drummers,
1: rip all these other drummers, right? Yeah. There's only well, one. I, there's only one I want to rip.
0: Well, okay. I, I I wasn't honest with you, and I and kinda, he knows who he is. <laughs> I know he knows. I misled you. The name of the show is Track Talk, actually. So we're we're actually well. I'm honored.
1: Gonna... I'm very honored to be the first guest on Track Talk. Since you told me I was I wasn't going to do it, but you said I was going to be the the pilot episode, and I really was honored by that. Uh, being yep. the first guy on that,
0: and yep, I couldn't think anyway. Of a when people
1: don't want to hear us, banter they want to hear what somebody wants to hear something interesting. So, what do you want to talk about? <laughs>
0: All right, we're going to talk about Peg, we're going to talk about Peg, and um, and thank you for being here. My pleasure, yeah, and uh, thanks I, to everybody I, for watching.
1: I would like to say. That I I saw, Steve's. That was really a good. It was really great, you know. I've heard listened to him talk. I'm about to hear with him talking about himself and stuff. But uh, it was really it was really interesting, and I, I I got I learned some stuff listening to that about his attitude, um, and stuff uh, in the studio. It was, it was informative and, and really good to hear. And I love the way you took the song apart. This is going to be a little different because I'm the, the opposite of a drum soloist. I don't I don't even solos are not anything that I've ever aspired to or, or try, you know, I was never good at s- drum solos. Yeah. Yeah. And there are guys that are so good at it out there that, I, you know, why bother?
0: But you don't need to be Rick, you know, you're not you're not hired to play. Well, drum we're songs,
1: here to huh? talk about Peg, which I mean, there aren't a lot of pop songs that have drum solos on it that have been as success as as acclaimed as as uh, Asia. But we're we'll, we're here to talk about Peg off the Asia album, and I'm I'm happy to talk about it because people ask me about it all the time, and I don't really have any of the answers. So I'm not. I'm just going to use this format with you to explain to people. I have no idea what i'm talking about
0: (laughs) well i don't know about that and
1: when you ask me (laughs) i'm not gonna know
0: to quote you i don't know about
1: that okay (laughs)
0: first of all i think it's i think there's some great context and some great background that we can share that people probably that follow your career already know this about you but you unlike steve who and this will be the last time we talk about steve um you had worked with steely den before you recorded peg before the asia album you'd work, mm. work with them on the royal scam album mm-hmm. and so and and that was and we just discovered uh don't take me alive of course was the song that i always knew um and you're credited i'm not
1: sure about i'm not sure about anything else on that album
0: okay all right and 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 lesson learned on my part rick i i saw on wikipedia that asia was recorded at uh village recorders and it was recorded at the producers producers workshop and some other stuff was done at village. So, so yeah. Why do we we
1: care about Steve?
0: No, I'm it's, I'm talking about the Asia album. It's listed on the, on, on wiki as being
1: in a few different places. We did not record Peg at, uh, at village or producers. We didn't, we didn't do that.
0: You did it in New York. Uh,
1: We did in New York. Yeah,
0: You did. Okay, good. I was getting to that. That's, but my point is, um, you would work with Walter, with Donald and Walter before this mm-hmm. record, and you had recorded. So Peg had been recorded. Part part of it, the Asia album was recorded at A and R in New York, and that's where you mm. did Peg. Okay,
1: great. A and R fifty second, A and R Seventh yep. Avenue.
0: Yep. Okay, and is, is 22nd, that where 27th. you had recorded? Don't take me alive. Same studio. Just yes. Of, okay. Yeah. So that was kind of where they worked
1: in New York. We did. So, I don't know how many songs we did the night we did "Don't Take Me Alive," but we. Uh, I remember Don't Take Me Alive. I think that was the first song I ever did with them. Yeah. So anyway, what do you want to talk about? Let's, let's jump into Peg.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great. That, that clarifies a lot of things because I think for me and I, and I'm willing to bet a lot of people watching think of that as being like an LA, like an LA studio. It's kind of got like an LA vibe to it. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of been put in the yacht rock genre, you know, in the Mm. years and it's it's easy for for you to kind of think it's part of that, you know, that L.A. like what Andy Newmark referred to as that, you know, L.A. Drummond kind of thing, um, but it's got your Rick Marotta mojo, which is that New York thing. Um, I was curious to know how far, if if you know how far into the making of that record did you record Peg? And I'm going to guess it was probably early into it if you did it in New York. I think in the spring of not of 77. I would, or do you know the year that
1: you did it? I would think it was early. Yeah. In the making of the record. Yeah. But I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, with, with Donald and Walter, you didn't really know. It was just that it they, they would pop up. We'd work on a, on a record for a few days or a week. Um, then they'd go somewhere else and work on it. And, uh, you I don't remember what part of the, where we were in the making of, but you know, it was, uh, there was a lot of time I spent with them on and off. So I knew, uh, I had, a, I had a relationship with them. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like just walking in and looking at a chart. It was, it was, you were there and you knew you had, you had some, leeway
0: yeah and 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 you had that was that because you had already recorded with them or because they they just knew you anyway but it was uh,
1: a, i f- think everybody did i don't think that they were they, 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 it's an interesting thing with them in general everyone had a different experience with them but as you could see in the making of asia documentary that that they did um you can see that just in the, in their description of the making of Peg, by the way, I'm sorry, I have a I'm getting over a cold. So I sound a little mm, stuffed. Um, in the making of Asia, they, you, you see them. It was terrible. I thought, but they, they were, they were showing, they were raising the different guitar players. Yeah. Solos yeah. in Peg before they got to Jay Graydon's solo. And, um, Interestingly, that would not be uncommon for them. In that, you came in and you had something to say. They said, "Let's hear it." Mm-hmm. You know, that was basically what they were—that they were about. Let's let's hear it. You got some. Here's the song. What do you What do you What do you want to contribute to it? And if they had a chart, chart might look like this. You know, it might look like just chords. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, there'd be hits. You'd see hits on a chart. <clears throat> like uh, those little breakdowns, either they were written in there, or we we wrote them in. But they were very probably they, they probably wrote them. They probably had those there, and we just played them or wrote them in. But um, uh, yeah, they 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 gave you. It wasn't you know. Listen to what Steve played on it. A- listen to Asia. Yeah. Who's going to yeah. let you do that?
0: Right. Right. Yeah so that that's that's really interesting to know that too Rick in the, in in terms of the the chart or whatever sort of makeshift chart they gave you did you have any sort of scratch demo to listen to 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 get an idea of any kind of feel I or don't did they leave the think, feel
1: to you no i don't think so i never remember having heard anything it wasn't really in their i don't think it was really in their dna to do that i i think that it was you bring there It was what bring what you bring to the table. That's what you do. That you know, do what you do, yeah, and make it sound like us. Right. So I don't think you know. Like if if I played it, as I told you before, uh, the funny story when I arrived in L.A. at the airport, I ran into Jim Keltner, and um, Keltner came up to me and <laughs> said that should have been me on Peg because he had, <laughs> he had cut it. <laughs> and I said, "But it's not." It's me <laughs> You know, I, felt, I told
0: you that it, it still keeps him up at night. He, it, I know. I talked to him a it, couple of months ago about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I felt his pain. I felt his pain many times. So he, he's not alone. He's not alone in that uh, in that horror.
0: But when he, you know, but seriously, um, go ahead. Sorry, Rick. Go ahead.
1: But you know, I want. To, I know you want to keep this brief, so. What do you want? What, what do you want me to? I don't rem- we're, we're, I can remember a lot about the session.
0: We're done. We're all. We're done. It's a wrap. Oh no! <laughs> I got to tell you, Jim. And you—you you should know this. That Jim, whenever he talks about that song, he is nothing but just—you know—complimentary. Just he's—you know—and—and uh, he's, you know, and always. You know, praises the, the job you did on the, the groove and the, the job that you did on that song. Needless well, to
1: say, that's um, nice of him.
0: Well, you know, I'm going to jump ahead to a, a question that I had about Jim and about Bernard because Bernard also did a version of it, I believe, right?
1: No, I'm, I'm I know he did a live version of it with them. In the he's playing it in um when they put the band together with Paul Griffin and those guys, yes, yeah. Um, and they were doing making of I don't know exactly, but that was in New York. I was in Los Angeles when they did my interview for that. Yeah. So uh, they wanted me to play it. But when they did the live, the version of them playing it live, I think that was Bernard played, played it really well.
0: Yeah, he did. A, I, I, I just, you know what? I, I thought that I'd Bernard the, plays
1: anything really well. You know, yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And I, I thought both Jim and Bernard had done, had taken a pass at. Maybe it was just Jim had done it, just Keltner. But I think you've answered my question in that, I'm thinking timeline-wise that you recorded it in the springtime of, say, 77. Jim maybe did it later, but in the end, it was your version that they kept. I mean, you you were done with it, and then that was the last you heard about it, basically, right? You, you mean you're
1: telling me that you think because you think that when I did it, they thought they were going to get a better groove <laughs> track? than I find that hard to believe well maybe I mean, maybe they maybe but.
0: well they 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 say that the record the album was cut between 76 and 77 so it, with that in mind you they had may may have had jim do it in 76 and then you in the spring of 77 I'm just curious how that all worked in terms of the timing um i i only know i only found out just now that you did it in new york you know i thought maybe you had gone out to la to do it and they had you know those those uh Sessions nope. kind of consecutive. So,
1: okay. No, nope. well, is- I was, le- I know, I remember I was, we were in New York. I remember that night and we did it. We finished it at night too. We were, it was really late. Yeah. And um, I remember we did it in New York. I remember it distinctly because I was leaving for Los Angeles about four days, three or four days le- after that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, And uh, yeah, so okay. I remember that.
0: And the drums were in the studio. Did A&R had a house kit in those days?
1: So uh, now we can get to the track. A&R had a house had a house kit that we all pretty much used, and it was trash. Yeah. But sometimes when I would go in, like for example, I'll give you a, something. An interesting thing about Peg. Um, there are no. There's only one fill on it, that I play twice, and it's all on the snare drum. Yeah. And I had gotten this uh, this uh, snare drum at that time was a wooden snare drum. <laughs> I carried when you walked into AR fifty second um so on something you, you you brought your trap kit, cymbals and sticks. Yeah. And in my trap kit I had some little hardware, you know, maybe a hi-hat stand and hi-hats. I had hi-hats and all that kind of stuff.
0: Pedal maybe too? And
1: or? a pedal, absolutely yeah. yeah. You yeah. brought your pedal and it was a fiber trap case. I'd throw it in a cab. And go to every session. I was a pain in the ass, and then so I I remember that I brought this snare drum with me, and it was one that I had gotten from Frank Polito at the Pro uh, Drum Shop, and it yeah. was it was Frank told me it was you know he was friends with um with uh, a Buddy uh, Buddy Rich, and he told me it was Buddy's snare drum, and it was uh, that. Pearl, gray pearl or whatever. And it had those, uh, the throws on the slingerland throws on it. Mm-hmm. And I pulled the throws off of that. And that was when I used to work on drums a lot. And I pulled the throws off and I put Ludwig throws on and uh, changed the snares. And I put a canasonic head on the top the thing was so odd and it sounded great. And I brought that to yeah. a lot of sessions. I did brought that for, 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 for Steely Dan, because I said, you know, when in LA, if, if Keltner showed up or Jim Gordon or, or Jeff, there would be a case in LA at that time. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Just snare drum. Mm -hmm. There'd be 20 snare drums, easily 20. In the case I've seen the case to open them up, stacks of snare drums. I went with one snare drum <laughs> and Ralph McDonald would walk in with with this, all of his percussion gear over his shoulder. And the Congas were there and they have his percussion gear over his shoulder. I came to LA, literally truckloads would come percussion. We're doing a session. The percussion guys show up and a truck with just their gear is there. And I went, Ralph McDonald carries the shit on his shoulder. <laughs> so, so um, anyway, I I had this um this canasonic snare this canasonic head on the on that snare drum and I liked it's kind of a tight tight sound. It was so, a Slingerland
0: snare Rick, too just to to clarify. Wood Slingerland? Yeah, I think it, yeah, was, it was
1: Slingerland was... wooden okay. snare. And, and 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 I and I and I went this is a, I, so I went I started hitting the snare drum and I remember Walter Walter was walking behind me, pacing, and he would – he's looking at the snare drum. I could see what's going – you know what's going on. <laughs> it, not, not, not them anywhere, you know. I've been with people that look at my cymbal and they'd freak out. So, so I, I uh, were playing, and the snare sounded so good to me, and Walter said, I don't know about that snare drum. And then, you know, <laughs> you got Elliot Shiner. <laughs> Elliot Shiner is like, just, it's, it's great. It sounds great. And Roger Nichols is like, who cares what the stair drum sounds like? So, but that's what it started out as. And I yeah. thought, I like the sound of the snare so much. The toms, everybody would tune and retune those toms. Those toms, those heads never got changed. And they were just disgusting. Um, and, I wouldn't hit them that day. I just said, you know what? No fills. Tom I went boom boom boom. They sound terrible. Pat, 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 boom, ba, doo, boom doo, ba. So that's how that whole thing came. I just didn't want to hit the Tom Tom. Wow. And there was no there was really no reason to hit them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well you listen to it now, and uh, and and speaking of that, let's just let's play a little bit of it, if you don't mind.
2: your favorite?
0: So Rick,
1: I've never—I didn't know you were going to play the whole song. It's time to go, isn't it? The thing is over. Well,
0: I was going to stop in the middle, but I thought, let's—I'm sure everybody's been waiting for it. I know I have been. Play it all the way through, and we're, we're going to go back to it. But I, I've never asked you this. I don't think—at least I don't remember—did you play to a click track on that song?
1: Do you remember? oh uh, I would think, yeah. Okay. I—I—I I, I, I would think yes.
0: Thank, thank God.
1: Well, they used the Yuri click back then, but. Um, My, my thing with the click track was, I was, felt very comfortable with clicks. My, my trick with the click track is if I can hear it, I'm not playing with it. Yeah. Yeah. So when I played click, if I heard it, stop the take.
0: It comes up at 117 beats per minute and it's just dead on. I mean, I, I, this morning I was just clocking it and, um, Right up through, I, I I stopped, you know, when it got into the the vamp, sort of at the end. But it's just,
1: especially yeah, that, I'm sure, but, I'm, I'm sure it was a click. I mean, it was Elliot Shiner, and he, we were, you know, I'm I'm sure they threw a click up. I mean, I I, I wouldn't, I I don't remember, <clears throat> but I never questioned that it. it was always there was clicks, there were clicks everywhere back then. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow, it's uh, it's it's such an amazing track. I, a couple of things too, I just want to. I want to point out that i've observed over the years and uh and i don't know if it's i'm guessing it was maybe just more what you were feeling at the time but throughout the song you play the hi-hat on the verse and you know what was sort of a um kind of a standard way for people to make records was you'd play the verse on the hi-hat chorus on the ride cymbal probably made a lot of records that way right that song, you play the hi hat all the way through until the last minute, and I think it's the repeated chorus yeah. as you get into the outro that yeah. you switch to the ride cymbal. Uh-huh. Now, was that was that a conscious thing, or did you just? Yeah. What, what, was, what was the what was the reason for that? What were you thinking at that point?
1: Well, it, here's the interesting thing about that track. <clears throat> I mean, was <clears throat> sort of going over. I can't. I've talked about it so much, but I never really analyze it. I just – here's the deal with that track. So as I said on the original Making of Asia uh, DVD, the – the I was – my hi-hats and cymbals were – I love my setup, right? So I had to have my cymbals and hats And I had been working – you know, a lot of guys are working on playing things really fast. <clears throat> and i worked a lot on the sound of my drums because i was very frustrated in new york at what drums sounded like on records and it drove me crazy i was having a conversation with david spinoza the other day and we were talking about it and he goes remember when we used to play at this one studio and he, he said rick i remember you used to get hives because when we'd hear the playback they had one speaker <laughs> and and you would go crazy and <laughs> and so i worked more on sound so And, you know, I remember I was working when I was doing some sessions, especially this one, we cut this one track, didn't make the James Taylor album, but it was called, uh, uh, it was an old Bobby Blue Bland song called You're the One. And at the end, the hi-hats, where, you know, the cymbal swells at the ends Mm. of a song? Yeah. I only did them on the hi-hats. And I would practice doing things like that, where I could just hear the, I would just, my left foot, would just open and close just the tiniest little bit. You know, every, every nut and the lug and everything on, on the, on the hi-hat had to be exactly right to do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I was lucky. I would always work on that stuff. That's, that's what I'd work on more. Like, is this hi-hat sounding right? And all that kind of stuff. And so when we were doing the track, if we want to talk about the track and people ask me these questions, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to answer the questions that people ask me. And if you have anything more you want to ask me about it. Go ahead. But I remember on that track, a lot of times it's like they say, studio musician, this studio musician, that. Chuck Rainey and I had been on the road together for over two years with Roberta Flack. Right. We were in recording studios together at least a couple of times a week for years. We were on the road for over two years, two and a half years with Roberta Flack. And we played, I, you know, Chuck and I had a, Shorthand. We really could play well together. Yeah. So you call Chuck Rainey to show up, who I, 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 wish people knew more about. And you call Rick Murata to show up. It's like calling you know, the, the guys in the band. Mm-hmm. So Don Grohlnik was on session. He's a guy I've played with forever since I started playing in New York. Don gronick is, uh, was the keyboard player I played with all the time. We, we were out on the road together. We did sessions together. We worked on everything together. So you really like this, right? Yeah. And on on when we when we listened, when we did that. I remember Donald, the consummate musician that he is, would sit down and he would play it and sing it. You know, don't 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 do So he's playing that dotted figure, right? Mm-hmm. And right away, I know as soon as we counted it off. I know Chuck and I are going to go like this. Yeah. It's just going to happen. Yeah. And so if <laughs> I remember correctly, this was one of those things that was not really very cerebral. I listened mostly to Chuck and a lot to Donald playing or, 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 or Gronick playing that figure. Or if Paul Griffin was there, I can't remember everybody who was in the room at the time. Um, but I know Gronick was there. I know Chuck was there. I was there. Uh, Donald was there. Walter was there. Um,
0: and you, so you cut the tune as a complete rhythm section with.
1: Yeah. with that yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Great. Yeah. And, and it was, um, it was on fire. So here's the thing. So we start playing it. And one of the things that I had learned playing so much with Chuck is Chuck could play busy. You know, Chuck's a slapper and a popper and all that kind of stuff. He invented that kind of playing. If you if you really want to know Chuck Rainey's playing, you go listen to um Sanford and son. That's Mm -hmm. him on that Quincy Jones thing playing, you know, that's Chuck playing that insanely great bass part, which totally makes that soundtrack. Yeah. I mean that 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 theme song. Quincy Jones. Yeah. Yeah, Quincy, yeah. So so the thing I learned playing with Chuck live is we could – we could – I used to call it Whisper Jet because you're with Roberta, you know? And it's – the on stage, it was Eric Gale, Cornell Dupree. It was stuff. It was the original stuff band. It was Cornell Dupree, Eric Gale, me, Richard T., um, Chuck Rainey. And it wasn't bashing. You know, I could play the rock and roll shit stuff I was playing, but it wasn't that. It was – you know, you could, I, I, I called it, I said it was like we take off. And back then they used to have this term for for when they were flying, so it was screaming, "We're we're going to go in a whisper jet. That's yeah. what it was like. It was like we just took off. So I knew a lot of times playing with Chuck, when Chuck gets a little bit, you know, starts doing his motion, I just would sit into it, okay? I would just sort of, okay, here's where we are. His time was ridiculous. You know, he had great time. The click, you never had to fight with Chuck, and 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 I would just slide into where he's playing and not play every note that he's playing. So I yeah. would pick a note like a that 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 that's. A, I could just play that with whatever he's playing, and it's going to feel like I'm playing everything.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So <clears throat> back at that time, we talked about. I was when I first started playing, people would say to me, you know, they would there was this other drummer, very, very beginning of my playing in New York. There was this drummer who so good. He, uh, Jerry played with him in Orleans. His name was Wells Kelly. Oh, and sure, Wells man. and I, Wells and I were very um we're guy at the same time we're getting all this a lot of work. And then Wells went with Orleans and I was with Brethren. Um but but first he was with uh, Harvey Brooks's band. And that i remember them talking and saying you two guys are the new york guys right but you play so differently and the difference was wells they were telling they were explaining to me wells plays up here on top of the drums you play down here underneath the drums
2: mm-hmm.
1: so i'm really really good at i'm really good at visual descriptions and stuff when people say to me when they want me to play a certain way if they would say to me you know i like that Funky knuckle bottom kind of. I understand that. Yeah. I understand when they do that. Talking colors, whatever it is. It's weird, but I, I relate to those abstracts. So I understood what they were saying. On peg, I thought to myself, I'm doing, I must have been working on this thing and I must have been working on it with Chuck. Where when we were playing, instead of playing straight eights on hi hat, I would play, I I kind of changed the figure up. You know, back then there was a lot of disco music. So people are playing, this kind of thing was going on all the time. Yeah. Every session. So I would start to fool around with that because it was driving me crazy. And one of the things was playing that kind of a hi-hat pattern, but just fiddling with my foot. And so when we got to the chorus, instead of going over to the ride symbol, I started, I, when we must've run it once or twice, I felt like this little thing going on. And I kind of remember looking over at Chuck and Chuck looking at me, he won't remember this, but we're like, oh yeah, you know, this is feeling really good. And when yeah. we went to the chorus, there was, we just added each of us. A, he, he started thumping. Cranking and I would just added a couple of notes, but I changed the way I was, I was moving my foot, my left foot on the, on the hi hat. A lot of that was, by the way, influenced by Andy Newmark rubbing it in about his studying with Alan Dawson at Berkeley. And he kept talking about independence. So rather than work on a bunch of chops back then, I would work on independence to try to get these things going on at different times. So, you know, doing do, uh, not Where that my independence is that great Yeah uh, No, doing do, doing that is not easy for me to do But doing this Is easier for me mm-hmm. So I got both feet going at the same time yeah. yeah And I had these little parts going But I kept everything over here on the right side So when we did the the, the um, Verse It was here And the chorus Symbols are going like this Because my foot's going like this Yeah not much. I mean, not even, so little that it's just the difference between a, the, the crisp, closed hi-hat and that little slush yeah. sound yeah. of a hi-hat. And in between, there are these other little, you know, th- th- things used to change, these little, tiny, little sounds. I know it sounds crazy and wacky, but I, um, I really felt like that was what inspired me on that groove, play that groove. I was thinking up here. I wasn't thinking a whole lot of down here. I was thinking, okay, my feet are going to naturally, um, <clears throat> do something when Chuck plays. Cause that's, we, we, we do this dance together. I know that when we went to the chorus, I added one or two bass drum hits. That was it in the circle of, you know, in the, in the, um, two, two or four bar pattern mm-hmm. uh, in those two bars, I would add two notes. Uh, or one one note every two bars, or every two bars, or two notes every two bars, something. I think it was like one note every two bars, or something like that. Just in a certain spot, just maybe a little upbeat, or an eighth note following a downbeat, something like that, which would s- just yeah flip it and, around a little bit.
0: Yeah, and Rick, I'm going to see if I can find that spot. Well, I know I can find it. it just might take a second. Um, a, a, the first chorus.
2: Um, this is your big. It's
0: your favorite foreign
1: movie. Yeah, so, it's so
0: friggin' good.
1: <laughs> so, so but it, I mean, this is just I'm trying to service the explanation of I, I it's a little bit self-serving, but I'm just trying to serve the explanation of service the explanation of what it is that I was thinking and playing at the time, only because so many people. And I'm so I'm so humbled by it, have asked me about it um, because, you know, I I don't take myself as seriously as some other people we know do. I don't want to mention his name, but <laughs> but, but but I, I you know, I, I do remember when we did it. I do remember when we did it. I had a, that was a that was a really strange night during and after uh, personal, personal side of things and uh, Gronick and I hung out almost pretty much all night that night and Don I remember was talking about how when we left how I'm pretty sure I remember Don talking about how good it felt and Chuck Chuck and I were like and I do remember Chuck and I going what are we going to do Is it you can't I can't do it any different than that. And there was no dilly dallying around. I, I, there were no questions. But the thing is, I kind of remember, you know, Donald and Walter would be like, if for them, it was interesting. Steve, it was so, was so great when uh, talking about Asia. And Steve was talking about, in general, his wanting to make someone happy in, right. in you know, in, in the room. And um,
0: that's the and difference between you and him.
1: Oh yeah. No. I I don't wanna sound like that. I I I look there are times when you really are trying too hard to make people happy and it really blows up in your face. But I have to say when we were with when you're working with Steely Dan, uh it's pretty funny. They were never they're like if if Donald would go if Donald said Yeah. it was pretty good it was like oh my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> this guy loved it and and walter too yeah that was really good but you know i miss them and i miss playing with them as rough it rough as it was and as much as i wanted to quit uh i i um i i there's those were guys that really made me learn how to appreciate songs and you know when they talk about yacht rock i get it but I don't get it because if you listen to their lyrics, this is a, just a departure from Peg yeah. for a second. If you listen to their lyrics, their lyrics are crazy deep. I yeah. mean, like crazy deep. Don't take me alive was the first song I ever did with them. And I always talk about it because it was, I didn't even want to do the session. Cause I don't know what the, we we're, were so busy and I'm so lazy. And, um, and, I, and those are the first words I heard out of Donald's mouth. And, and, and he it was just, it was, it was musical life changing for me. I, I, I remember thinking this, this is unbelievable songwriting. And all of those songs on Royal Scam are bloody, what? Come on, man. Yeah.
0: It's a great record. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Well, I had so- an old girlfriend who, who when we met, she had a cat. The cat was named Deacon. Oh, so was she wasn't a musical person. You know, she was. Mm. She liked music and stuff. But Deacon. She goes. Yeah, I named him after Deacon Blues. You know that band Steely Dan. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, isn't that who Steve Gad plays with?
0: <laughs> At least she didn't name the cat Asia. You know, <laughs>
1: a lot of people have.
0: Um, all right, Rick. Couple more questions and I'm going to let you off the hook here. Uh, but then we're going to surprise, we're going to give our, all our folks watching and all your fans a little special treat at the end of this show. Um, don't worry, you don't have to play a drum solo. So we talked about Chuck and you, you answered a question which I was going to ask and I, you, you've told me many times about your history and your long relationship and friendship with Chuck. So that made perfect sense. And, uh, and just in how you guys, um, just agreed. Instantly on where the beat would be and and how the groove would go. I mean, we, you've you've covered that beautifully, and I thank you for that. That's because that that's that's the magic, obviously, of that song. And, and but a
1: lot of that is Chuck. I mean, you listen to his he's he's playing drums on the bass, and also I have to say this about Chuck Rainey. His my relationship with Chuck was at that time we were so close. He we. He made me feel more confident about what I was going to, if I was going to try something, he'd make me feel really confident. And if I blew up and it's really stunk, mm-hmm. he would be the first one to say, man, what are you playing? You know, he, he, <laughs> he, he would have said, what, well, don't do that. That sucks. But, uh, yeah. you know, that's all part of the, Part of the thing that goes on in the room. I mean, it, 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 it's hard for me to, to, to explain, but there's the way we read, made records back then. A lot of times everybody in the room together, if you can get everybody in tune and everybody focused on the song at the same time, that's the hard part about doing it. But when everybody plays the stuff together, it's magic. Yeah. You all contribute to each other. And
0: speaking of great bass players, I just want to make a quick uh, mention and shout out to our friend Stanley Sheldon, who is watching live right now. And, uh, and ah, my yeah, bandmate, your bandmate from from uh, I say brethren, but from
1: Ronan, um, Ron- Ronan, 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 Ronan. And Stanley and I met when we did um, when we did Frampton Comes Alive tour. Stanley was the original bass player. And I took John Siomis's place for a little while.
0: Yeah. Yep. And, and Stanley commented, uh, you guys played with Warren Zevon and he said, yeah, remember being in the car with Rick and hearing, uh, a track you guys cut together. Everyone wanted to learn and play that groove. Rick was like, yeah, sounds pretty good. So Stanley, hello. Good to see you out there, buddy. Yeah. And Tom major, by
1: the way, is watching. Presumably. Oh, I love Tommy major. What a great drummer.
0: Great drummer. A friend out in Martha's vineyard there. Tommy major from N train. Um, so I might have already asked you this. I think we might have talked about this. Um the process the the way you went about tracking this song was it was it kind of a similar process to when you re, when you recorded uh Don't Take Me Alive? I mean was it kind of the same? They have did did you did Gary Katz as producer have a lot of direction for you or, or did did he kind of leave it to you and
1: No, Gary Donald Gary was great. Gra- Gary was great at going Good, no good. Yeah. Good, no good. You know, he, Gary, he, he, he was good at being just like a cheerleader. He was there. He, yeah. he, and very respectful. It wasn't like ripping guys apart. It, it was, um, these guys, you're with the best. It's that interesting thing about doing Steely Dan stuff. You're with the best of the best in every way. You're with Donald and Walter, and you're with the best guys on their instruments in the room at one time. You're not, there's not a weak link. Yeah. Um, yeah. The weakest link I would always feel would be me. Wow. So, um, so so yeah, we 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 cut those as a as a band, you know, as a band would cut it together. Yeah. Any
0: idea how many takes you no. guys did? Was was it was it a no. lot?
1: Uh, I would think. I would bet. Here's my guess. I don't know. Oh, I could be completely wrong about this. I know that we went really late that night, okay? And I know, I'm pretty sure we probably cut other things. Um, I would think that we didn't do a lot of takes, but we probably, they were never in a rush either. It was like, you know, I can remember a lot of times, I remember lunches and dinners that we had, you know, we were just sitting around eating in the, in the, in the studio. But uh, I don't think we did, for some reason, I don't think we did a lot of takes. I think that's one of those songs where the more takes you do, the less of that spontaneity and that mm-hmm. there's a little bit of magic that happens that sure. goes away. Yeah, yeah. I always had that problem. I, my, my magical powers go bang.
0: We'll talk about that on a future track talk when we talk about Jackson Brown's Boulevard, which we won't give away now. We'll save that for another episode, which is which is a great story unto itself. Um, Yeah, no, I I, I totally get what you're saying on that, Rick. And I I I would think that was the case, that it wasn't a lot of takes. But I just wondered. um, And and if you had to guess based on what you've told me as far as.
1: I think that Keltner probably did more takes than I did because. He wasn't getting it.
0: <laughs> I'm going to send him the link. I love him, so on YouTube. much
1: I love him. I know. I know, I, him.
0: I know. And by the way, speaking of amazing drummers, Peter Erskine is watching and he says, Rick is my hero.
1: Oh, now let me tell you something. Peter Erskine. First time I heard Peter gave, first time I heard Dilly Dan. I went to I went to um uh the Greek theater cause Donald and Walter called me. It said, Hey, we're playing I was on the road with somebody, right? And I'm in town. And they called me, and they said, Hey, you wanna come, we're coming we're gonna do the show. Yeah, sure. I wanna come and watch somebody else play with uh Steely Dan. <laughs> no, I don't. Want to. But I went. I went and Peter was playing drums with them.
0: I saw that tour, 93, 30 years
1: ago. Oh, man, did he play? And when he got to Peg, I thought, you know what? Sure, he can play Ricky Don't Lose That Number, but wait till he gets to Peg. (laughs) Tore it up. (laughs) Tore it up. And I told him, and he told me, he was such a sweet, brilliant, brilliant, really, really great musician. He said that he worked really hard on that (laughs) song.
0: He told me the same thing at the time. He said, Well, he I remember him saying that's a really tricky little groove there to play it the right way. And he I remember thinking, Holy shit, he's he's found that he's found that mojo, you know, to yeah, to, oh, yeah. to play it with he the did. authenticity. And yeah. you
1: know what's interesting is different guys I've seen play the groove. Like I I also saw uh um, <laughs> Keith Carlock and he killed it. Killed it. Yeah. And I just thought what is, these great guys are, these amazing musicians are playing a part that I played. It's so, it's such, um, it's just, I, I'm so honored and, and, and flattered by it. I don't even know what to say. It makes me laugh because I think it's so funny that these guys are learning a part that I came up with. Big deal.
0: It's pretty great. It's pretty great. What, the what, the last thing I was going to ask you, and then we're, we'll um, we'll we'll put a pin in peg. Um, I just came up with that. Um, <laughs> what a genius! <laughs> uh, when you when you guys finished, or when you when you at least were thought you were done for the night, you and Chuck and and Don and everybody, did you feel like you'd recorded something really special? Did you feel like this was this is really something pretty special here. I mean, did you have any kind of vibe about that or, or Uh,
1: I, you know, I just, I can't remember that part. I remember thinking this felt really good. for, For me, it was about what is, what, what does it feel like? You know, it's like, um, I know I felt I left there conflicted because I had personal stuff going on, but I had, when I left there, I remember feeling like that felt really good. That was really good. Now yeah. you never know with Steely again You never know what's gonna be uh great or I don't know, everything is great. You just never know what's gonna be a hit. The fact that Peg was kind of a commercial hit for them oh, was interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. Yeah.
1: You know what's funny for me when I so I was in Miami. I was walking around. Uh, when I go to a grocery store, I'm walking around a grocery store, and there's music playing. Somehow, when Peg comes on in a grocery store, the two just—I don't try to—I I go, "This is so <laughs> great." I'm walking down. I'm walking down like the um, the bread aisle at a at a grocery store, and on comes Peg. It just doesn't. It's just a weird. Should it? shouldn't should or shouldn't it be here
0: <laughs> all right well th- we, this reminds me we have to tell a story I'm, we have to tell a story i'm gonna let you tell it um but i also want to just ask you i started to ask this before i think do you have any sense rick you've you've talked about and then all the other guys that have played on the record asia have talked about bringing a different kind of oh i have uh, to
1: say we have to do a shout out to drum paradise and harry mccarthy
0: yes of course of course
1: my, uh, my old Harry's drum Washington.
0: tech. Yeah, he was, he, he, he may have, well, it was in New York, so he probably didn't, but he was your neighbor at that time. But when you, when, do you have any sense for when they recorded it in LA with Jim, were any of the got was Chuck Rainey also in the band? No, or was it a I have no, I have no, band?
1: I never knew they cut it with Jim until Jim, Jim stopped me. The song had already been out, and Jim stopped me in the airport <laughs> to tell me, to play it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> his poor wife, I just never will forget it. He's picking up drums, I'm picking up my stuff. We're going, we're both he's either we're both landing from someplace. And I'm coming in from New York. And Cynthia, his wife, is out in the car in the van, got the van door open to put her stuff in. She's looking at us having this animated conversation. And I I didn't know <laughs> Cynthia back then And I thought and you know Keltner. Jim Keltner is who we're talking about. is the gent- most gentle, sweet, loving, sweet guy, yeah. and and an a- a- absolute brilliant drummer. I mean, I I yeah. I was very, very, very influenced by him when I when I came up playing.
0: Absolutely. Well, if we have time, let's. Uh... If uh, I, I think we don't have time, f-
1: we've gone 30 minutes over our allotted. We
0: have. All right.
1: People quick, hate us <laughs> <One> of <laughs> It's not my fault, folks. I can get right to the, I can cut to the chase, get in and get out.
0: Oh, no, you can't. No, you can't. We knew this was going to go long. I All didn't
1: right. start this whole thing talking about Asia.
0: All right. So you have to tell the story about playing golf on Martha's Vineyard. President Obama, who also is a member of your club on the oh, vineyard. God.
1: I don't want to tell that story.
0: A condensed version. It's a great story. It's a great oh, story. You have to.
1: God. Oh God! I can so tell it, but I won't
0: do it. I'll, I'll miss so, important um, pieces.
1: I, my my assistant <laughs> and her husband have two children who I love as their as much as if they were my own grandchildren or kids. And Milo, her son, um, I took him to the golf course on Martha's Vineyard Vineyard Golf Club. And it happened to be, I took him with me to, he's, he's eight. He was seven at the time. And I took him so that we're going to play a little, we're going to go to the range and we're going to practice a little bit. I'm trying to teach him to play a little bit of golf. And uh, Milo and I went, <laughs> and uh, as we pull in, I noticed the f- driving range at this exclusive club on Martha's Vineyard is packed. And I, go, oh, it's, it's, it's President Obama's birthday today. Oh, uh, this is last year. It's President yeah, Obama yeah. the year before. It's President Obama's birthday today. Milo, I'm really sorry we might not be able to hit balls. It's very crowded. Okay, so I said we'll just go down and and I saw Jason Benko, the the guy who runs the place, and he said, no, oh, no, no, they're they're going to go out in a minute. There's a bunch of guys. It's his birthday. He's got a bunch of teetots, but it'll be fine. Just go up, hit balls. I said, okay, Milo, we're going to go up. And as we're walking up, um. Uh, we're walking up to the, to, to, to hit balls. I said, if you see President Obama, you go and you say, happy birthday, Mr. President. And, and, and Milo's aware because we see, uh, Obama there a lot. Uh, Milo's aware of who he is and it's his birthday. So as we're walking up, it just so happens as we're walking up, um, uh, <laughs> President Obama and who's these guys start to dissipate and he's walking to a cart that's about, 30 or 40 feet from us. So I walk away from Milo and I said, there's the president. Don't forget what you're going to say. And I walk away. I don't want to be, you know, I want to, I just, you know, sort of I'm having such a great time watching him. And he walks over and he, he looks over at Obama and he goes, happy birthday, Mr. President. And uh, Barack Obama, nice man as he is uh, on the golf course, turns to Milo and he says, oh, young man, thank you very much, young man. Um, are you going to play golf today? Yeah. Are you, <laughs> you know, they have this little conversation, and I'm not in it. I'm, I'm waiting off to the side, but I've got this big smile on my face. And there's, he's talking, you know, well, I hope you have a good keep it up. And, he, you know, he's, he's being, he's being President Obama. And, uh, and, and my other goes, okay, thank you. Happy birthday. Thank you very much, young man. And as he gets in his car to drive away, he looks over at me, Obama does, and he goes, yeah. By the way, I really like Steely Dan. <laughs> <laughs> and, I go, and I go, so my reaction being the professional celebrity that I am, I go, wow. <laughs> I didn't even know what to say.
0: I wouldn't either. Yeah. Hey, I love your podcast. I really yeah. like
1: really really you playing on Steely Dan. <laughs> Oh, I love. So the guys it. came up to me at the club. And they said, "Did we hear?" Yeah, I said, "Yeah, that was so weird." They go, "He knows everything that's going on with everybody at this club."
0: Yeah, yeah, Yep. That's hilarious. Well, Rick, thank you so much for doing this. I'm oh, not it's my pleasure.
1: Leave. I hope, I hope that whoever was listening to this, under all, you know, you and I, when we talk, we're such close friends. We go on and on and on and on, and we could go, you know, start bantering and doing that stuff. But I hope that something i said touch cuz a lot of people really care about this groove on peg and i i respect it and i and i don't want to marginalize how appreciative i am of the people that appreciate that so I, I i want people to know as simple as it is you and i both know the other guy that came up to me in the golf course said hey uh uh, you play on the. you play with Steely Dan run right on those records. Yeah, yeah, I play on some of those records. Yeah, yeah. Uh you, somebody said you played on Peg. Yeah. I, was, I could play that. <laughs> Simple. I said and I said to him I said, You're right. I'm sure you could do it. It's
0: there's nothing to it.
1: I get a, he gets my number. I get a text from him. Well, a while after that he goes. Hey, you know I I might not have been right about that. I tried playing <laughs> it. It's really not that easy. <laughs> anyway, I hope that some people enjoy if this if, if there's any questions if they send them to you, I'm happy to answer them. I have no um, Great. uh you know, I I'm I'm honored and, and happy to do this.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in for Track Talk with Rick Murata, Peg Dissected, and I'll see you again real soon. Thanks. And don't forget to subscribe. See ya.